operator for part two of brothers in war this is your host mike and uh welcome back my brother jeremy jeremy what's up what's going on man nice to have you back uh kicking off the second segment but uh first how was uh how's your weekend oh man i had a great weekend it rained up here all week um you know as soon as it starts getting warm it rains uh, so it rained literally all week here in Pittsburgh. Um, so finally got to go out, uh, enjoy the weather on the river with the kids and the girlfriend and uh, doing all that fun stuff. So it was a great weekend. Um, so we're good. No, that's good. I, uh, yeah, if you hear some stuff in the background, that's the, uh, yeah. that's, that's my nephews in the back just causing a ruckus. Yeah, I just had to like, you know, do the throat slashing uh, motion to him to shut up. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it's cool. Sorry, man. No, it's cool. I'm glad you had a nice weekend. Yeah, I went up to. Uh, yeah, what'd you do? I made it up to D.C. So for Memorial Day weekend, I didn't get to make it up to Arlington uh, Cemetery, but I made it a point. So I went up with my buddy Brady and uh, we went up Saturday morning early and mm-hmm. went straight to Arlington and. Uh, it was pretty empty, which was kind of nice. And, uh, it was very quiet. It was very hot, but it was just very quiet and, uh, got to stop and spend some time with, uh, some of my friends that are buried there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. uh, it's a humbling it, place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it was nice to see some of the stuff left behind from families and stuff that came in to visit for Memorial day a week ago. And, uh, you know, there's guys like Pat Feeks and, Hornsby and Nick check and you know, all those guys that are there and just popped around. So, yeah, um, I remember Nick from uh, high school. Yeah. His yeah. Sister, his sister was actually my, uh, my grade, but uh, yeah, I remember him too. Uh, that's rough, man. At least yeah. you got to visit. I'm sure they know you came. So that's nice. You did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a little note about, about a guy named Nick check. I don't know if anybody out there has heard of him, but uh, you can look him up. He was a, uh, Went to high school. He, he was there kind of with my uh, – his sister was with my brother, and uh, I was a freshman when he was a senior. But uh, Nick went on to become a Navy SEAL and uh, did some great things. And uh, he was uh, killed on December 8th of 2012, rescuing an American doctor who was held hostage by the Taliban in Afghanistan. They were getting ready to jump over across to Pakistan into the border. And uh, his team went out at night to do a nighttime uh, rescue. And uh, you, can, you can look up the story, but ultimately uh, Nick was mortally wounded uh, by leading the fight into the, uh, into the compound and ultimately saving it. And uh, he was posthumously awarded the Navy Cross. But um, from what I understand, uh, he's currently um, going through the process of being upgraded to the Congressional Medal of Honor. So. Yeah, I think he definitely deserves that. Um, you know, that's a—I mean, that's our highest honor. You know, yeah. it's the nation's highest honor, and I—I I think uh, what he did definitely merits that. Uh, from what I know of the situation, and you know, you would know more than me uh, right now, obviously, but I think he would definitely deserve that. Yeah, uh, crazy, crazy situation, kind of how it all played out, and uh, everything else, but. 
uh, just extremely humbling to know that he come from, you know, our hometown and grew up and his name's on the wall at the high school and, uh, and to know that he had that kind of effect in the world, uh, was, is pretty amazing, you know? So, um, shout out to his family and his mom, Sandy, you know, I don't know if she listens to this or anything else, but she's an amazingly, uh, wonderful woman, strong as nails, tough as nails. And, uh, but such a good hearted woman at the same time. And, uh, I know every time I come up, I try to stop and I text her, I visit her, I send her a text of me next to Nick's headstone and everything. And she just, you know, she was like, so sweet. Thank you. You know, love you thinking of you and stuff. She's just a wonderful woman. So. Yeah, absolutely. That whole family is uh, pretty good in my book from what I know. Um, even before all that stuff that Nick done in the military, um, they're yeah. always pretty good people. So. Yes, they are. Um, but other than that, we did that. We walked around to uh, some of the war memor- uh, memorials, and particularly uh, last week, I talked about uh, our Uncle Ray, great Uncle Ray, uh, that was killed in Vietnam. And I went to the Vietnam Wall, and there's this uh, Vietnam Veterans Foundation Memorial app uh, that you can get on your phone, and you can look up names of people that are on the wall and their history and everything else. And I didn't know that. So when we, when we got there, uh, we looked it up, and we found um, his, his casualty card about, like, the date when he, when he passed, where he was, how the attack happened. And, uh, there was four other Marines that were killed with him and everything else. And then something that was really cool, uh, that I sent to uh, my great aunt today was, uh, a bunch of letters and notes that, uh, a couple of Marines, some family, his sister, everybody else have left over the years. Uh, cause at the wall, you can fill out a, an envelope and leave a letter for the fallen, uh, at the base of the wall. And I believe every day they come up and they collect them and then they put them into a, like a digital system and archives. So then you can go onto this app and you can read it and they're protected. And I just, oh, I love that. And uh, yeah, that's I re- pretty cool. I, I, I looked at that after you sent it to me. That's, that's technology. You know, I don't really like technology, but that's a, <laughs> that's a really good uh, advancement we have now, especially for all them guys, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very humbling to see a bunch of, uh, older you know old men and women there visiting the wall now it's been like 50 years and i remember when we were kids walking around it was like the world war ii veterans that were doing that and the vietnam era was still pretty young and now they're all the the older guys that are in wheelchairs and yeah yeah absolutely crazy yeah i remember um geez i think when i was uh i don't even know how old i was in 90 91 but desert storm was the thing i remember watching that on tv uh, when I was little, I was probably 10, 11 years old, I guess, maybe at the time, 12, something like that. I remember watching it. It had night vision uh, cameras on for uh, Desert Storm, and that was a hell of a thing to see, you know. So if they had that kind of technology for Vietnam, I mean, that would be – I mean, they do have some videos out, but that, that would be something to see. You know? Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, that was kind of my – that was kind of my weekend is going up and dedicating my time and the weekend to visit – visit the fallen and some friends and remember and learn more about our family and kind of different stuff. And, uh, it was a great weekend. I got back today and it's been nice, man. Good. Good. You have to make it down there sometime soon. It's been a few years. So yeah, I, I think, I think it's a trip we should do together. I love to do that. We ought to do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, this time, uh, you know, you got to ask me all the questions last week. Um, yeah, yeah. 
boring life, you know, my grunt time in the military, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so our mom listened to it uh, the other day. I, I hit up mom and I was like, Hey mom, did you, did you hear what your boys made? And she's like, Oh yes, I did. Yes, I did. And you know, and I was like, did you learn anything? And she actually learned a lot. Um, you know, I know she probably wouldn't get on here cause she's very, I don't know. Media shy and reclusive. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> she get, yeah. She gets all goofy, but, uh, no, she said one thing, you know, a couple of things she learned was about your perspective, uh, about when you got home and kind of what you're thinking and the whole, the whole portion that you talked about is just like, you know, most people get to have a phased, um, a phased coming home, you know, transition like, period. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Transition. Yeah. I can't think of the word, but yeah, it's actually a big thing. You know, when you, when you're coming out of combat, I mean, I'm sure all these guys listening that served in combat or been deployed, you know, you have a, a transition period when you come out of war, you know, in combat back into the States, like, you know, you got to go through psychological exams, medical exams, you know, they ask you a million questions about, are you having problems, PTSD, whatever, you know, I, in the way I got out and a lot of other guys that get injured uh, in combat get out. That's just how it happens. It's kind of like, you know, you get injured, they send you back to the hospital, stitch you out, do some rehab for a while. Um, and I didn't really have all that stuff, you know, here, here's, you can't do this. You can't do that. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. When you go back to the civilian world, that didn't happen for me. You know, it's just kind of in the combat one week and a couple of weeks later, I'm back into, you know, walking around the mall and like nothing ever happened. So, that's it, hard to that's hard to face you know it's kind of hard to get used to and i'm still not used to it and it's been it's been a couple of years and it's still uh you know it's it's difficult you know but you got to be a strong-minded person and move on with that stuff and if you need help don't be afraid to ask somebody for it so no you're you're right and the the point that was you know that was kind of cool to hear mom say but at the same time it was i, I don't know it, it was powerful man because that happened 15 years ago, 16 years ago, actually. And, yeah. uh, mom, mom's just learning more about what it was like for you to come home. And she's like, I never thought of it that way. When he talked about it and said this or said that she's like, I never saw that from his perspective or never thought about that. So she's like, it was very interesting to hear for one. And then two, she's like, it's very nice to hear you, you, you two talk in the ways that you guys do being brothers, but also just about the military and everything. And she's like, so when is he interviewing you? And I was like, well, tonight, apparently. And she's like, well, I'm going to listen to that one too. So I better hear something. <laughs> yes, mother. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's a good lady. She, we put her through hell. I know I did. You know, and you're doing your, your, your portion on that as we speak while you're serving in the military. So yeah, <laughs> you added to the gray hairs too. Yeah. All right, man. So I don't know, I guess we'll switch around here and uh, I'll give the floor to you. So start where you want and uh, whatever you got for me. So let's go. Yeah. You know what, as we, like I said, I wrote a list uh, and in my weekend activities, I don't know where it went, but I just sat here and wrote some of the things down that I remembered and I'm sure it's more than enough what we could talk about um, for me and for everybody else listening. Uh, how was uh, life during your training and what was the hardest thing you had to deal with there? Uh, going through, going through selection, I was 19 years old. So, I mean, it was very, I was very excited just because, you know, I mean, as you know, I wanted to do that since I was like, what, 11 years old. And that's all I talked about and wanted to do. Yeah. 
So uh, when I got there, it was very surreal seeing all the stuff from the videos that I've watched and hearing stories and just seeing it happen before my, my eyes. It was just very surreal. But um, <clears throat> I think the hardest part uh, for me was I, w- I was the second youngest guy in my class. Mm-hmm. So as far as life experience goes, uh, I felt just very junior, like guys kind of like uh, forget him. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a kid. And most of these guys are 24, 25, 26 or older. And they're like collegiate athletes, uh, you know, wrestling champions, cross country champions. Just, you know, some of these guys are just animals. And, and I was, a lot of them guys were prior service. Uh, yeah, a couple, um, a couple guys, um, a couple guys were, and uh, had some pre- previous time in. But these these guys were just some of them were just physical phenoms, like animals. Like looking at them, I'm like, this guy's like a power lifter. This guy's a just an animal. And I'm 19 years old, 173 pounds at six foot one. Like I'm a string bean. So I'm looking around. I was extremely intimidated. And it, when training kicked off, I was just like, I'm just gonna go. Like this is where I want to be sucks but this is where i want to be and i was i was excited and i didn't pay attention to it too much but after i start seeing like these guys started disappearing and i was like oh my god i'm, I'm still here like how's this happening <laughs> like i don't know and uh but i just animals washing out ringing a bell you know yeah and it was just you know just random things and i was just like oh my god i'm still here and uh I had some really good friends that I made uh, while I was in boot camp before we got there. And I was just like, man, I, I really want to lean on these guys and talk to them. Like, dude, we're still here. Like little small victories, little every single day. And uh, that was the hardest part is just, is just kind of like getting into the groove and figuring it out that it wasn't personal. Um, they weren't there to like, you know, personally attack me and go it like everything was fair. And as long as you performed and you were just doing what you were supposed to do and just, you know, you, you didn't let it get too big. You didn't psych yourself out. Did what a lot of guys did. I mean, I had a guy, we were getting ready to go out and uh, do this one evolution and we're just standing there on the beach and no instructors around. We're watching the sun go down, which is like a bad sign. Cause once the sun goes down, the party starts and it gets cold and everything else. But he's standing there and he's just like, I'm done. And I looked at him and his name is Jeff. I was like, Jeff, I was like, where are you going, man? He was like what we called like a first time, every time guy. So he passed every run, like obstacle course, like everything he passed it the first time. And he was just breezing through and he's just like, I'm done. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? I was like, don't, don't, don't leave. Don't quit. And he's just like, he took his stuff off and he turned around and set it down and he walked over the berm and I didn't see him for 10 years. He just disappeared and he just quit. And I was just like, if that guy can quit, I'm, I'm in for a hurting. And I was like starting to question myself. Like, I don't know how long I could be here. And well, that kind of training and that kind of activity, that's, that's a lot of that's physical. Yeah. But I think, you know, most of it is mind over matter. You know, you got to have, you got to be almost nuts. You got to not care about freezing, not care about the little things that everybody else cares about, you know? Well, I think to an extent that's true, but for me, and I think, I think you knew how much my heart was set into it growing up and having the people that supported me. The two things that got me through because that the adrenaline goes real quick real quick because like everybody wants to do cool shit until it's time to do hard shit and when it's 
you know, two o'clock in the morning, it's freezing cold and you're getting your ass handed to you on some telephone poles. Um, and there's no end in sight that adrenaline is immediately sucked from you. And those instructors prey on that. If you even show a sign of like, Oh, this isn't that bad or this or whatever, then you're going to get it. Then you're going to get it worse. Oh, they smell it. Yeah. They're literally trained for that. So, um, that, uh, you know, that whole mindset, but it was, it was more my heart. Like I knew that, you know, my body got beat down and was so tired. My mind wasn't even working right after a while because of sleep deprivation, exhaustion, uh, lack of food, like everything. So at that point, it's kind of like, what, wonder what's guiding me. And at that point, it's kind of like, man, it's my heart because I thought about, I thought about you and like what you went through. And I was like, I have to like, I want to get through this because this one, this is what I've dreamed of doing. This is my dream too. I I want to go over for my brother because I want to pay sons of bitches back. Yeah. And, uh, and then three, um, I thought about mom and dad uh, a lot too. And, um, you know, dad was already gone. So I felt like he was there with me in a way. And I was like, Oh, dad would never like dad's pushing me. I feel it. Oh, absolutely. But at the same time with mom, I knew mom was there and, mom told me, she's like, you know what? She's like, if you don't make it, I'll still love you just as much. You know? And then I think any, any mom is going to say that because you're always going to love your kids. She told me the same thing too. When I went through mine, she was, <laughs> I was like, I can't, you know, I can't <laughs> somebody that says that to me down, you know, you just can't, yeah. you know, yeah, it, it was like, uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't call, I couldn't call mom and just tell her, mom, I wasn't good enough or, you know, I, I didn't do it. Like I, I just couldn't do that. And that just gave me the extra spark, the extra push, the extra, you know, whatever I needed to get through some of the hard stuff. And, um, it, it was kind of my guiding light in a way. And I focused on that, not, not the pain, not, not the cold. And I would just sit there about things that you went through. Um, think about dad and like him laying in a bed dying of cancer. I was like, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm actually pretty good and I'm okay. And I can put up with this. I can take the pain. Like I'm not, this isn't going to kill me. I can, I can get through it. And, um, I never doubted you. I, I never had a doubt that you wouldn't pass, you know, I'm sure it was going to be tough on you. I knew it was going to be hard, but in my mind and heart, I never, had one doubt that you wouldn't make it through there. Cause like you said, it's something you wanted to do. And I knew the passion you had behind it. And, uh, you know, I'm well, glad to see you did it. You know, even I almost didn't make it though. If you, so I remember you had some issues with, uh, drowning almost, uh, you got a knot tied in your, uh, SCBA, right? Yeah. So there's a certain test where they, where they it's like controlled drowning. And, um, I had, uh, I couldn't hold my breath for the test. So they basically tie your hoses underwater in a knot and flip you around and like beat the living crap out of you for about a minute, minute and a half, simulate a surf hit underwater. And, uh, they rip your mask off. So you can't see, you can't breathe and you're just, and you have to do these procedures anyway, not getting too much into it, but, um, I couldn't hold my breath very long. And I just felt like I was, something was wrong, but I went through the test and I, I ended up failing four times and I ended up getting performance rolled to the next class. And, uh, so when I got to the thing, I was just absolutely crushed. I went back to my room, cried like a five-year-old because I was like, Oh my God, my dream's slipping through. And I, I didn't get to finish with my original class. And keep in mind, 22 other guys got rolled as well. Um, but, uh, I went and got checked out by medical and they said I had pulmonary edema, which meant I had fluid in my lungs. 
so basically <laughs> that's why I couldn't hold my breath is because I had fluid in my lungs already from uh, pneumonia from uh, one of the most arduous weeks of training a couple weeks prior. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of the, uh, the issue, but I, I, I got healthy. I retrained my lungs. I got, I got everything I need to do. I went back and I blew it out of the water. My first, my first test back. And then I finished out everything else and graduated. What was, what was graduation day like for you? What'd you feel? You felt uh, like I felt, uh, it was kind of, uh, too good to be true in some ways, but I think the most, the, the, the biggest part is I was happy that mom could make it. Cause so our mom's terrified of flying and let alone she flew across the country to be there. Mm. And, um, but seeing mom's face and how proud she was and I didn't let her down. Um, I didn't let myself down. I didn't let mom down. And then I also, the one thing that really bothered me, uh, that I was thinking about their graduation is, um, and it was actually something that, that you got to experience that I didn't. And that was dad being there to hug me and, and be like, I'm proud of you, son. You know, that's my boy, you know? And I yeah. remember when you got home from Iraq and he said the same thing. Absolutely. Was that, that was tough. I, I'm sure that was tough, you know? Yeah. And, and I was just there, just sitting there thinking about him. And, you know, I just said a prayer and I kept my promise to him. So when, you know, when he was on his deathbed and, and I saw him for the last time, I made him a promise that mm -hmm. I said, uh, I said, I'm not just going to make it. And I'm not just going to be, I'm not just going to make it, but I'm going to be a good one as well. Right. And uh, I kept my promise to him. So uh, and I'm still keeping that promise. I'm still trying to be a good one and maintain being a good one. And, uh, but yeah, that's what I remember most about graduation day. It was just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't about me and what I accomplished. It was about everybody. It was about our family. It was about, uh, accomplishing something that, uh, many people didn't, but it, 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 it was for all of us. Yeah. You know, like to this day, I don't even remember what it was, but you know, I, I, I wish I could have been there. I don't know what was going on in my life at the time, where I was or what happened exactly. I couldn't make it for some reason. And you know, that that's always been something that bothered me because like you said, our dad died. He wasn't there for you. And I know I'm not your dad, but you know, I'm your older brother. And if there was anywhere I'd rather been that day, it was there, you know, watching you graduate. Um, yeah, you know, it can't change whatever happened. All I can tell you is, you know, I've been here ever since and I'm always proud of you. You know, I tell everybody about you and how proud of you I am and, you know, all your accomplishments and stuff. So I yeah. think you deserve a lot in life for all you did and put up, put up with and, uh, you know, just keep driving on. Yeah. Uh, it, it did bother me a lot that you weren't there because I was there for your graduation and when you got home and I looked up to you a lot and I remember having a conversation with mom and I was like, I wish my big brother was here. And she's like, I know, I know. And she hugged me and, and he just said, you know, you know, he's proud of you and he loves you. It's just, I did make it to your boot camp uh, up in Michigan. Greg was at great lakes. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that trip with your, uh, at the time girlfriend, I believe, um, you yeah. know, that was funny. And our mother, you know, and them up too. And uh, you know, it was just fun coming, driving up there and driving back, you know, <laughs> on the way back, I had to get gas. And what do they do? Stop through Chicago on the east side of Chicago, the worst place you could possibly go. I'm in the middle of it. 
uh, at a golf station with chained up windows and got dudes yelling at me, yo, man, you in the wrong hood, you know? So I gave my gun to my mom and I, I gave him my gun to mom and I told her, I said, here, put this on your lap. It's ready to go. If anybody tries to get in, just shoot. <laughs> so, yeah, she was all spun up when you guys got up there. She's like, this, this guy's coming out yelling at me. Your brother's outside doing this thing. He said, hey, man, you should have left your mom at home, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He thought my mom was my girlfriend. I said, he's like, you got them girls with you, man. I said, hey, that's my mom. He goes, oh, that's your mom? Man, what you driving around with your mom for? You should have left her home. (laughs) (laughs) That that part was funny, but the other part was like, uh, okay, we're about to have a combat zone here on East 35th Street in the east side of Chicago. There you go, man. Well, anyway. hey, they, they have strict gun laws, so nothing happens there. Oh, you know how it is over there, yeah. <laughs> Nobody shoots nobody. It's all it's all made up. Nothing's yeah. happening. So, uh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, other than your brother being a shitbag, uh, let's go on to the next topic. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so what are some things that made you stronger uh, doing your job that you do in the military and uh, your daily life? What, what, what made you stronger? What? What is it? You know, what makes you move every day and get up and keep doing what you're doing? What's the motivation behind all of it? Ooh. I think it goes back to back when we were, you know, back when I was a kid and I was talking about, well, looking at looking at you and, you know, you wanted to be part of something bigger than yourself. And I really re- respected that, not just about you, but about all the people that we kind of met uh, growing up that was military and hearing stories about, you know, uncle Bobby and other people that just served, like there was just this connection that you could see between veterans and active duty or people in uniform. That was just different. It just set them apart. And, um, nine 11 happened, you know, six years before I enlisted, but still that was, that was getting into the height of the war and there was a surge and, you know, I'm going through training and it's just like, yeah, combat is probably going to happen. But, uh, I still remember uh, 9-11, you know, I was in eighth grade when that happened. And I'll just never forget, like, I know that's a throwaway line for some people, but like, I really never forget watching, you know, 3000 people be murdered on live TV and couples holding hands and jumping out of the window of 90th floor. So they don't burn alive. And um, seeing these people, you know, these, these terrorists and these savages overseas, just cheering and, uh, cheering for death of innocent people. Like, I don't, I don't care where you're from uh, or any country, like innocent people dying is just, uh, you don't cheer for that, you know, like yeah, I agree. regardless of who these people are, uh, you don't cheer for innocent people being killed. No. Um, so uh, I remember that. And I kept that in my heart uh, that when it was my time that I'm going to do everything that I can to uh, protect protect this place, protect people I love. Um, it fueled it even more after you got hit. And I was just like, Oh, okay. You want to, you want to make it personal, real personal. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to take it to you. Um, so when I first got in, it was like the height of the war. Um, and, uh, I ended up going to, I ended up going to Africa, my first deployment and not the middle East. And there was a lot of different stuff going on in Africa at the time. But I remember being extremely frustrated because I wanted to go where you were in Iraq. And I was like, I want to go take care of these dudes and get my, get some payback for our family. But uh, it didn't work out that way. So I still got to do some other stuff. And then when I got back, I went to 
I ended up getting my shot and they're like, Hey, you're going to go to Afghanistan. And, uh, that's where I met Raf and, uh, you know, some of the other guys, Jimmy Boggs that you've met and everybody else. And I, I met a great group of people there and, uh, I, I got to do my job and I got to do what I said I would. And it gave me a lot of peace, uh, in a sense, it gave me closure in a lot of sense. It made everything worth it. It kind of, uh, reaffirmed me of what I was doing and being able to like war is not good, (laughs) but I appreciate my time for being there because I got to see firsthand the greatness that comes out of good people in times of adversity and war and everything else. There's so much positive that can come from it. uh, Not just the negative. Oh yeah. I agree with you, man. You know, my deployment, um, I met some really, really nice people, you know, uh, families that were stuck in a horrible place, but they'll give you the shirt off their back. Um, you know, like you said, there's, there's good people all over the place, you know, they're just stuck in shitty countries. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's very true. Yeah. And I, I'm still in, I mean, I'm, I'm still young, I'm capable, I'm healthy and, you know, if I, I, I said I'd give my 20 years and the reason I want to do it is a few reasons and I keep doing it. One is because I'm healthy and I'm able uh, Two, I believe I'm very, very good at my job and I love doing what I do. And there's the old saying, it's just like, if you wake up every day and you, and you love doing what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's partly true because I do a lot of work, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I, I always go back to how appreciative and lucky I am because of the position I'm in to do it this long, because I, I, you know, I, I just went and buried some, you know, met with some buried friends that didn't have the same luck or anything. And they're up at Arlington now. And I realized that could have been me multiple times, but I'm still here. So I'm very appreciative to even have the opportunity to serve because it's not just a job. It's a privilege to be able to serve and to wear that uniform and continue doing what I'm doing. And, um, and also too, I want to earn my time in this country because I've, I've been given so much and uh, experienced so much and it's given my family so much opportunity and everything else. Um, I want to earn my, the rest of my life here. So 20 years of, uh, of faithful selfless service to this country. I feel like I'm going to pay my, pay my entryway, my ticket to enjoy the rest of my life in peace. Um, when I'm done with the military, I want to be completely done. Uh, I don't want to chase it anymore. I don't want to be a part of it. Um, I think 20 years of my life, uh, end of my teens to all through my twenties and all through my thirties. I think that's enough. Um, and it'll be at probably at the time, six or seven deployments. Um, yeah, I man, that's a long time. I mean, most people don't last 20 years, you know, that for whatever reason, I mean, instance, look at me, you know, I wanted to do 20 years at least and then a situation came up and that didn't happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could see where you're lucky and you know, yeah. I'm glad you're my brother. I'm glad to have a person like you as my brother that realizes that, uh, you know, and, and nothing's free, you know, and this, we do live in a good country. We do have a good life. We have a lot of freedoms because of people like you and others that serve and serve and everything else like that. So, um, you know, hell man, after all you've done, I think 10 years of service is more than enough. Yeah. I think you've earned it. So, um, 
Uh, let me move on to the next question because while we're kind of talking about, you know, combat and overseas time and stuff like that, mm-hmm. what would be uh, the most scariest moment on a deployment uh, for you? Your first experience of something dangerous, what what happened and what 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 happened through the whole situation and how did you come out of it? The scariest? Yeah, like a bad uh, situation. Firefights got cornered. Anything? What's what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? So personally, honestly, there's a, there's a there's a couple things that happened with me. Um, I was on two helicopters that uh, theor- theoretically, uh, scientifically, whatever you call it, should have crashed. Uh, one was a CH forty seven Chinook that came in way too fast, and we were in the back in an LTATV with some dirt bikes in the back. And, uh, the pilot was flying the wrong, uh, approach and, uh, hit some stuff in the field and the helicopter went into a brownout, which is when all the moon dust flies up and you basically lose visibility. And that usually happens with a rollover, uh, out in the middle of the mountains of Afghanistan with nobody around, we would have just, the crash alone probably would have killed us, but, uh, that wasn't the scariest. Um, I was just kind of locked in and I was in a, you're in the zone when you're coming in. I don't know. I wasn't, it was, I was scared, but I wasn't, uh, I ran over that IED twice, but I didn't even know it at the time. It just felt wrong. So I wasn't exactly scared. I think, um, I think the most scared that I was is being how trained I am. And like with a weapon was when I actually wasn't even in a combat zone per se. I was working for the department of state and, uh, I was in an African country driving at night we just dropped off some uh some uh, air force guys at this one uh, western hotel and we were driving back to a team house that we lived in in the middle of the this uh city and there's no traffic lights it's it's completely different like everything you know about the united states and driving around our roads just completely forget it and uh, i was driving back and this motorcycle came flying up on my right side and i was by myself my buddy was about five minutes ahead of me in another vehicle and um he, this motorcycle comes flying up on my right side and they're dressed like two police officers, local police officers, and they both have AK 47s and they don't carry AK 47s, the local police. They didn't have those. Um, so immediately I'm like, what is this? And the department of state uh, at the time, even though we were who we were, they were like, you are not allowed to carry a firearm within 25 K of the city. Uh, so I had no weapons on me and the vehicles I in were not up armored or anything. There were civilian, uh, Tacomas tacos. And, uh, so we pull up and they're completely blocking the front and they draw down on the windshield. And I just felt so helpless. I was like, they got me. Like, I don't even know who these people are, but they got me and I can do almost nothing about it. Cause I was already stopped at this intersection. You have to stop because there's people that just fly by in front of you and you can smash into them. There's no red lights or anything. Yeah. And, uh, this dude jumped off, he runs up to my window and I had my window cracked just about two inches and he's pointing the barrel of the AK selector switches all the way down, which means he's on full automatic or I'm sorry. One, sl- one switch down is full automatic. He's on that. And I'm just like, he's dead. If he wants me, he's going to take me. Like there's nothing stopping him. There's nobody around, no witnesses. Like this is it. And I couldn't, the only thing I can think about was getting my phone, my country phone and dialing my buddy and just letting him hear the conversation that was going on. 
And the only thing I could think, maybe this is just thinking on her feet, but I had no weapon, but I was like, I'm in a truck. I'm in a 2000 pound weapon. So the only thing I think knew, I reeled down the window on the driver's side and he put the barrel of the AK about six inches from my chest and he's just holding it inside the the uh, the door and he's yelling French, French Arabic at me. I don't know what the hell he was saying. And uh, I was just like, I was just waiting for the flashes to come and just, he was just going to light me up and I was just going to be dead. Um, I put it in first gear and held down the clutch. And I, the only thing I put my hand up under the door and I had my other hand on the phone. And the only thing I can think of was grab the, grab the barrel, slam it forward into the front of the wind, like the corner of the, the, the door frame and pin it there and hold it because he didn't have his sling on. I remember looking at like, is it attached to him? And he's like, no, he's just holding in his hands. So I was going to slam the AK barrel forward, put my head down, come off the clutch and just fucking floor it and, and take out the dude on a motorcycle. Hopefully he didn't get shots off, run him over and just drive straight back to the team house. And that's literally the only thing I did. And Literally at the last second, I was like, here's my last ditch effort. I knew a little French, French Arabic. And I, I said a few names that were in the local uh, special forces that we were training. And I named their general and his eyes lit up and he looked at me and he's like, he said it back to me. And I was like, we, oui. and I looked at him and then he started yelling at the other dude. He turned, he spit on me, pulled his gun up and they, they hopped on the bike and, and tore ass out of there. I never saw him. Wow. Um, and my heart's beating out of my chest. I was like, I was dead. I, I had nothing I could have done except maybe take a risk and, and see what happened. Yeah. And that whole situation you just said about grabbing the guy's barrel, assessing if he has a, his sling on, this is all happening in a blink of an eye. You know, this is, this is happening fast, faster yeah. than light. And you got to come up with something immediately or you're going to be dead. Like you said. So, yeah, this was about 30 to 45 seconds total. Um, it seemed like it was probably 10 minutes. Yeah. And uh, my heart's beating out of my chest. These guys tore off. I called my buddy. He's on the phone. I'm like, dude, I'm going back to the, to the embassy to report this. And like, holy hell. And uh, needless to say, from that day on, I, I, had, I carried, I had, a, I had a suppressed MP5K under my jacket on the seat and a, and a pistol on, uh, on my lap when I drove. And uh, I told the, uh, the DCM, the deputy chief of mission, I said, I said, I, I'm not sorry, but I will not be killed in this country over something like this. And uh, I will be carrying. And this person uh, nodded their head one time and I never heard anything else past that. So uh, she, this person looked out for me. I won't say any names, but this person looked out for me and I was fine the rest of the time. Later, I found out these two guys were uh, Boko Haram terrorists. Uh, which is West African terrorist group. Uh, and they murdered two police officers up north, stole their uniforms, and uh, were riding around the city looking to uh, uh, basically uh, rob or kill um, any Westerners, meaning us or the French who uh, were there as well, the French military. And uh, what I found out is they've done that four previous times and shot all of them were French soldiers, and they shot every one of them in the head. Yeah, so, uh, definitely got lucky, man. God was there. Dad was there. Somebody was there again and was just like, nope, not your time. No. Now, let me ask you, um, who, whose role, ROE, was it that you're not allowed to carry a weapon as an active duty service member in a hostile country? Who, whose simple, stupid role 
would that be? I mean, is that, is that, that falls under that, No, that falls under Department of State. So just real quick, under DOD for special operations, when forward deployed, you, you are permitted, it is a rule that you are allowed to carry a weapon for self-defense. Now, uh, for a lot of people that don't know this, I don't want to get into this whole thing, but place like Iraq, Afghanistan is DOD run. So it is run usually by a four-star general. Uh, they say who can come into that country and who can't. So they can tell Department of State, ambassadors, anybody else, like you can come in or you can get the hell out. They have the overall say so what goes on in that country. Now on a non-combatant country like Iraq, Afghanistan, but we're talking like Africa or anywhere else, it is Department of State run. So the ambassador is the equivalent to a four-star general or admiral. He can tell the military you can come in or you're leaving. Like he has the overall say so. So at that time he dictated that there would be no weapons that would be carried in that country um, for any in incidences to happen. Um, so that's kind of how that worked out. Um, it overrules the military rule because he's the head honcho and he's like, Hey, this is the deal. Um, so I abided by his rules 70% uh, of the time until this happened. And then, uh, I uh, protected myself as needed. So. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you on that, brother. You did a good <laughs> job and got out of there. And uh, <laughs> if I know you, I'm sure there's a few choice words to that person. But, uh, you know, I probably would have the same same reaction, I guess. Um, uh, the other thing here is uh, your home life after combat, um, mm. your struggles, PTSD, yeah. any, anything, uh, you know, you don't have to get too serious and delve into anything too personal. Um, but no, it was extremely hard. Uh, coming home from Afghanistan was the hardest, but from other deployments and realizing like, yeah, I'm still alive <laughs> and that happened. But like you said, you come home and we have some transition stuff, you know, like I've had, I've been deployed five times and some, sometimes you have transition depending on where you were. And uh, you know, I, I went through that stuff, but, you know, coming home from Afghanistan, it was like I came home on Friday and I was at leaving for a school on Sunday for a month. And I had I didn't have any downtime and I got back and uh, guys like Raf and all those guys were over there for another eight months. And I wanted to stay and I had to sit there and listen to uh, a Blackhawk get shot down with uh, a couple guys on like Hornsby and a couple other uh, teammates of mine. Yeah. And uh you know, that was uh, very personal to me because I was sitting at home and I'm listening to people complain about stupid stuff. And it's like, that doesn't even matter. Like, what are you complaining about with your first world problems? And it's like, I need to go back there with those guys and be there. Like they're fighting it out. If I can be there, I can make a difference. I know what I'm doing. I'm great at my job, you know, like send me instead, like let some of these younger guys or anybody else coming back, you know, I'd like send me, let me extend. And it just wouldn't happen. So um, I talked about it in another episode, but I was just completely busted up. And, um, all I wanted to do was go back for a year and a half. And, uh, I never, I never did get to go back. I never went back to Afghanistan after that. And, uh, but I'm, but I'm so thankful that I did because I felt like I contributed, like I, I was able to check some box. I felt, uh, I felt like I was justified or something like that. Yeah. And you got some vengeance on top of it. You know, you got to see combat and what we see on TV every day, you'd actually set foot on these, in these countries. And, you know, it's, it's a whole, isn't it a whole different thing? Remember watching on TV before you ever served? 
before you ever enlisted and then actually setting foot in that place. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's eye-opening. It's, it's a whole, it feels like you're on Mars. <laughs> like yeah, it's no. hard to explain. You feel like, holy shit, I'm actually where all this shit is on TV. Like I'm here, I'm in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. So. Um, past that relationship was a very hard, um, yeah, it was, it was very confusing uh, for me because uh, I didn't give my, at the time, I, I didn't give my marriage the due diligence. And uh, all I cared about was myself and getting back to where I wanted to go. And I was very selfish. And um, I was wrong for that. And, but was uh, you though? I mean, I was. It, it's hard. It's hard to depict those two things. Marriage is sacred. Yeah. But so is what you're doing. That's your life. That's your career. It's your job. I mean, I don't think anybody out there can make a perfect decision. You can't, nobody out there can take personal life, marriage and being deployed in combat. You, it's two separate things. And I don't think anybody that I've known can handle those two things in a good, in a good way. You know, well, I remember, I remember when I got home, I was very confused about a lot of stuff about that and, my relationship and how I was supposed to be. And I remember, I remember the one thing I wanted to do, I wanted to call dad and ask dad what I was supposed to do because I was just, I felt like I was just so confused and I didn't know what to do. I kind of froze. And I remember I just wanted to call dad so bad and just be like, dad, what, what am I supposed to do? Please tell me, like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, cause I didn't have any, like, you know, dad was gone. So it was like, I didn't have this male figure in my life that was leading me. Uh, my father-in-law turned out to be uh, a very selfish ain't, you know, person that I, I did not trust. And he just turned into a, a, a two-faced type person. And I was just like, I can't talk to him about anything. He's not going to get it. He just tries to one up me all the time. Um, literally talks to my friends behind my back about how big of a, you know, this POS that I am. And then my, everybody that goes to like, what are you talking about? Dude? <laughs> like two different people. But so I, I had nobody that I, I could look up to up to. I didn't have a mentor even in my team. It was just, you know, it's a different environment at the time. And um, uh, so I was just like, I'll figure it out myself. And that didn't work out. And ultimately, you know, I'm divorced now and, you know, it all kind of like, snowballed and went over the way but um i wish i didn't do some of the things that i did i wish i didn't say some of the things that i said you know but it was just like i, I go back to that thing about serving your country and like some of the things you sacrifice and it's just like is that part of it like is is that part giving that up is that i think it is i, I, I have to say it is, you know, that's, it's a very hard thing to juggle, you know, um, you're, you're deployed how many times, how, how many months out of the year. And, you know, it, it's hard to do it, It's, you have to have somebody, you have to have a partner that understands that life and is patient and gets it. If you don't, it's, it's just, what's going to happen. And, and the statistics show, you know, I mean, a lot of military people, you know, active duty, deployed a lot. Their marriages don't last. I mean, you're not the only one, you know, a lot of people, my marriage went to shit. And um, a lot of it was due to, you know, PTSD and post uh, combat issues and all that stuff. None of that stuff helps either. So, and I was home. I could have did something about it, you know. So it's just a hard thing to juggle, I guess. And, you know, I, I can't sit here and listen to you say, 
it's your fault. You could have did this or could have, we all could have done things better, but at the same time, it takes two. Um, if that woman was meant to be in your life, she would have been and would have been there and would have understood everything that you had to do, where you've been, the situation. Um, but you know, it, it just worked out the way it did, you know, so all you got to do well, is move on, you know, that's all you can do. Take a lesson learned and move on. Well, I will say that like she, she was there for it. Like she was there for a lot of it and she did listen, but ultimately what it did is it pushed us apart and we just kind of grew apart because of it. Um, it just didn't, you know, it just didn't work out. And there was a lot of stuff that I tried. Like I felt guilty for doing my job. And then I'd come home and then like have to focus on that after 12, 13, 14 hour days. And then, you know, I suck. I, I was like, I want to go to counseling. Like I, I felt like it was my fault. Like I need to go to counseling. And then I invited for couples counseling. And then I was like, I need to go take care of these problems that I'm having. You know, I got blown up at one point and I had a concussion and some TBI issues. And I noticed my attitude was changing my short-term memory uh, everything. And I was like, this isn't me. And I want to change. I want to be better. I want to be a, you know, I want to be a better man. I'm be a better friend, better husband, like with everything. And I, I asked to go see help and it just felt like it was too late. Like we were already too far separated and I, you know, spread apart and uh, I tried to reconcile it and just, I couldn't do it. And I, you know, last year, you know, I, I went to just, take a leap of faith. And I was like, I'm just, I need to take a step and get myself healthy. And, and I chose to try to be happy. And I, I, I took a leap of faith and uh, I fell way off the cliff, in it, but I, I still did it. And uh, I'm, I'm climbing back up the mountain. Like I fell flat on my face. I fell a thousand feet, fell around on my face. I felt like I was by myself. Uh, felt like I was abandoned, left behind. Uh, whatever you want to call it. And I was just like, it's five deployments and fi almost 15 years of service. Like everything that I've done, I've almost been killed six times, uh, losing my friends, losing some people that are way better than I am. The struggles I've had in my family, my personal life, like everything else. And is this what it's supposed to be? Is this what I deserve of coming to this point and just being like, wow, this is everything that I've done. This is what I deserve of laying here on my face you know, and, and just feeling like I was left behind and not cared for, or like I'd never did anything for anybody. <laughs> like, I, it just got there, but then, you know, I guess like everything else, man, it's just get, get off your face and start crawling and just move, just show some life and just crawl and move. And I did. And then I start crawling faster Then I was on my knees and, you know, now, now I'm just, I'm on the mountain and I'm just looking down and remembering that being like, I'm still here. And uh, there's more to life than this. There's more. I know what I deserve. I, I know who I am. I know where I want to go, what I want to be. And, um, you know, those times kind of pushed me, even though they yeah. were so bad. They, but they pushed me. They, they became, you know, you turn around one day and you, you look behind you and you're like, wow, that was some. I, I went through that. I made it. And then look where I'm still at. And now I'm even higher than I ever was as far as like where I'm at in my life, emotionally balance. I have balance now, um, purity, clarity, like whatever you want to call it. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're doing pretty good. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't think you ever let too, too much bother you for too long. You know, I take the appropriate time for grieving and move on and, uh, 
you know, things in life, you know, I took a year, man. I took actually a little, little bit over a year and, uh, felt a lot of pain. I didn't sleep for months. Um, felt like I just completely ruined my whole life. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was just a lot, but I took the time just to focus on myself and what I needed to do because if I, if, if I wasn't good with myself and knew who I was and what I was doing with my life, uh, I wouldn't be able to make somebody else happy if I wasn't happy. And that's uh, a good way to look at it. You know, if you're not on your hundred percent, how are you going to be good for somebody else if you're not good for yourself? So, yeah, exactly. Um, I know we've probably been rambling on for so long here. I got a whole shitload of questions. So maybe a uh, extended episode two or an episode three, eventually in the future. <laughs> oh, just send it. Just send it. We're good. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, let's see. After your 20 years in the service is up when you decide to be done, whether it's 20 years, 25 years, whatever. Um, what do you want to do? What's the first thing you want to do the first week you're out of the military? What would you want to do? Travel? find a new career what be a dad yeah that's all i want to be well i mean i only been waiting for i don't know <laughs> i have a 17 year old daughter now so i had to pop first and i had two more on top of that so i'm on three ahead of you dude and uh thanks to your mother thanks to mom for that she pushed that shit you know yeah I don't kids but here i am with three of them you know i think pretty good dad you know um i'm sitting here waiting when is my brother going to be a dad? When do I get to be an uncle? When do I get to give the kid candy and teach it bad shit and send it back home with you? You know, I, yeah. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. No, I, uh, that's something I, I, I want to earn too, man. And it's just, uh, you know, doing all the stuff, being all over the world and seeing some really bad stuff makes me appreciate the good stuff even more, appreciate life. And, uh, you know, I'm 33. Sometimes I feel like I'm 53, 63. Like I you have. You look like it. You look like you're fucking 50 something, dude. Well, you know, oh, my hair, it. my hair is showing. <laughs> and if Melon and Raph right now would be ripping on me and being like, "Oh, you need to have a comb over. You need hair plugs and you know whatever." So I'm feeling. I mean, you look good with hair plugs. Yeah. yeah. You got to even that widow's peak out a little bit. But other than that, you're a handsome guy, I guess. Yeah. I just wear that hat. You know, that hat wig. You know. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so so anyway, other than being a dad what what would you want to do is there would you like to travel somewhere um not do anything just sit at home for a week straight watching tv and married with children and uh reruns of that or yeah al bundy al yeah. bundy yeah yeah i want to be a shoe salesman i want to move on and get out and be a shoe salesman and tell and retell my stories of being in special operations and tell glory day stories like al bundy yeah but uh yeah, yeah so uh i want to get out and i would love to do professionally professional development with young kids uh and and teach them something about uh bigger than themselves not necessarily the military but just about life and um i feel like i've been through the ringer when it comes to that and um being being a father i think is the ultimate gift as far as being able to influence and teach uh the next generation of you especially like your own blood right also just the kids and stuff because i don't think there's a lot of mentors around anymore like legit mentors there's no father figures and it's sad you're right there is a lot of these kids nowadays that you know even mothers they, they don't do nothing everybody's on their phones too busy with life for their own instead of teaching children how to how to grow up and be you know yeah and I, think, I think what stems from that is two things one is just being in the service and like working with other people and now that i'm a leadership position like leadership isn't a title for me it, it's a responsibility it's something I, I i 
I take wholeheartedly because it's not a title, it's a responsibility for others. And uh, I remember when I was in their position as a new guy and looked at my leadership and what I wanted them to be. And I want to be better than that. And um, that, and then also too, growing up, you know, the adult part of my life without dad, um, that sucked. I I wanted to call him so many times, dad, what do I do? Um, You know, relationship wise, what do I do professionally? What do I do as a man when it comes to this? And I didn't have him and I didn't have a father figure for, uh, I mean, technically I kind of still don't as far as that, but I, I feel like I have big brothers. I mean, I've ha- I have you that I talk to, but also like Raph and Mellon and Pat and, you know, these, all, all these guys are in their forties and I call them, uh, they're like my big brothers. So it's like, I can call and ask them and that sort of way. So like when I said, I, I lost my dad, but I gained, I gained some big brothers. I really mean that. And um, so I, I guess it all kind of stems from that is I, I just want to leave this place, this, this uh, circle that I'm in this life, uh, this earth better than, than I came into it. And uh, anybody that I have attached to me, uh, I really care for them. Uh, if you're in my circle, you're in it for a reason and I don't ever want to quit. Um, I, uh, I just want to help make you better. I want to see a smile. I want you to be happy. I want you to learn something. I want you to walk away as a better person and then watch you thrive. You know, my time's almost up as far as like being on the, on the top of the mountain and peaking. And I, I, I totally accept that because my, my career could end tomorrow. I could go to work, God forbid, and get hurt and that's it. And I got to walk away and be humbled just enough that I made it this far and that I can still continue with my life. Um, but a little piece of metal, uh, a title does not define me as a man. Um, you can take that away from me whenever you want. Um, I'll probably fight you for it. Uh, but if you, if you forcefully take it away from me, you're not going to change the man that I am inside. Um, oh, right. I agree with you. you know, yeah. You know, you don't need to wear a uniform to, you know, to be a good person, you know? No. And it, it goes back to when I, geez, when I was a freaking sea cadet, I remember this, but it still holds true. And I still remember it, but, uh, it was a simple saying, but it was, uh, Uniform doesn't make the man, the man makes the uniform. And I, I always remember that because, um, I, I remember, uh, meeting a few individuals that had the congressional medal of honor and they actually said that. And, uh, it was Colonel Wesley Fox, actually, he was a Marine in Korea and Vietnam. And he said that, and I just remember being like, wow, you have a congressional medal of honor and you're more like, he's very proud to be a Marine. Uh, but as a man, that was more important to him than, than a uniform was. He's like, I don't care what you do or who you are, like how you conduct yourself as a person uh, will tell me everything I need to know about you. Not, not a piece of metal on your, on your uniform or a ribbon that you just bought, bought at the next or PX or whatever. So it was like, I, I never forgot that. And I think that applies to life. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what your title is. I don't care if you're a cook, infantry, special operations, a pilot. I don't care what you do. Uh, initially, that's like, hey, great accomplishment. But the rest of it is just like, who are you as a man, as a woman, as a person? Um, you know, I don't care what you saw on your chest, what's in your heart, you know? Yeah. So that's how I like to live my life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I met. A, I had the honor of meeting a couple uh, Medal of Honor recipients. Uh, when I took a flight to Texas, I met this uh, really great guy. He's, he's a Sergeant First Class, Leroy Petrie. Um, he was in a Ranger Battalion um, Medal of Honor. And, you know, the, 
I was talking to him about it. What he, you know, what he did to earn that. And, you know, and he, you know, what he said kind of humbled me too. He, he said, it, it's not even what I did. It's what, who I did it for. He goes, I wear this because they gave it to me. And this represents everybody else that isn't here and in the past, in the future. He said, I wear it for everybody else, not for me. And I mean, that's a hell of a thing to say. You got the military's top honor and you're not even accepting like, oh, I'm a big shot. You know, I'm, I got the best honor there is, the highest honor there is. You know, he just says, I wear it for everybody else that actually deserves it. The guys that ain't here, they come back, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's something great to see, too. I mean, I, I wouldn't know what to do with the Medal of Honor around my neck, you know. I don't know if I'd want that responsibility. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, and you know what to think about, too, is what if, what if we had more people like that in, in our life? Not, not even military, but just people like no matter what they achieved, no matter what there is, just like, it's not about what I did. It's about who I did it for. Like whether it was military service, whether it was like going and volunteering at a place to help out some, somebody that needs it, you know, or just right. like basic little things. Imagine if more people were like that and had that attitude, like that is such a great example to live your life by and everybody around you is going to benefit and pick up from it. And I think about that all the time is just like, you know, when I put on my uniform, my, fr you know, a lot of my friends are dead and they would love to still be here. They would still love to be doing this job. They would still love to be uh, going to the beach for Memorial Day weekend. They would still love to be, you know, doing all this stuff. And it's just like, man, I want to live for them. It's about them. This isn't about me anymore and what I do or what I did. This is like living with them and making it worth it making this life worth it because they would want to do and be part of this. They deserve it more than I do. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. That's, that's the way I look at it. You don't want to mourn them. You want to celebrate them. You know, that's what they would want. They wouldn't want you to sit in the dark room, you know, tearing your life apart. They would want to see you succeed and keep doing good things in life. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, that's well, a lot of military stuff. You know, we, we touched on pretty much a lot of things, you know? So um, other than that, like what, what else do you want to do? What do you like to do? I mean, fishing, you still go fishing or what? Yeah, man. I just want to be that old, uh, that, that old guy, maybe grow my beard out again once I get out because you know, military is just like, Oh, you can't be a good, you can't be a good soldier if you have a beard and long hair. And, you know, it's like, okay, thanks. But, uh, I, I think that checks the box when you get out, you grow your veteran beard and your long hair and do what you want. So I'll probably do that for a little bit, but, um, I have no intent on just sitting on my butt. I want to get out. I want to work. I still want to have purpose. Um, I believe I still have plenty of purpose uh, after this career is over. This is just the beginning. And um, I, I, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there that I'm, I know I'm going to accomplish that I don't even know exists yet. But I know that as the person I am that I'm building, I'm, I'm going to be prepared to take it on head on and accept it and smile while I'm doing it. So I'm excited to be honest with you. I'm kind of looking forward to retirement in the next chapter and like, finishing out and just, you know, turning the page and do something new. So, um, but yeah, just hunting, fishing, uh, traveling. I want to see my own country. Uh, I want to go out West more. I want to go to the Yosemite and, uh, visit a lot of cool places. And, but like I said, I'll just appreciate it that much more because I feel like I've earned it and I've, I've given so much and, yeah. uh, I just right. sit there one day and just take it all in and just be like, man, you know, I, I earned it and I'm here and, and, I hope it was enough 
<laughs> so yeah. I think anybody knows you would think uh, <laughs> you did enough. I think you're good. Oh. Uh, but yeah, you know what, man, I, I hear they got some really good hunting out West, you know, I hunt some antelopes out there, see what else they got. <laughs> well, the other man, maybe, maybe you and I have to do this. Um, but the other promise I kept to dad was uh, we always grew up, you know, watching Saturday morning hunting shows and there was always elk hunting. Right. Yeah. And we, we always talked about going out to the Montana or something like that together. And one day and you're going on an elk hunt and just bag one of those. Yeah. Um, and it was just the coolest thing. And, um, 2015, I went hunting down in New Mexico and there was some, there was some elk and right before the sunset happened, I was sitting on a, on a finger on a ridge tucked into some rocks and I was mule deer hunting actually. And, uh, there was no movement and just this loud eerie bull bugle came out through the valley and it was something out of like a movie it was too good to be true and these 25 head of elk just come trotting down about 2000 meters away and i watched them all through my optic and it was so surreal man I, I just felt connected to dad and i just felt like he wanted me to see that it's the first time i saw an elk in the wild and i was sitting there by myself and it was just dude it was so awesome but i was just like you know what i get it you're talking to me. I got to make it out West and I got to do this trip and bag an elk. But I think that's something you and I should both do and go out West and uh, complete that together. You know, yeah, you know what I, I think that's another thing I, you know, I wanted to touch on is, you know, being brothers, not just us, but I'm sure a lot of other people out there, you know, brothers and sisters and siblings, and you know, dads and sons and moms and daughters, et cetera. You know, I think we all need to take a break from life once in a while and take time to enjoy each other, you know, to go spend time to go do something together. You know, like you're talking about how often do we get to see each other? You, you're in one state, I'm in another, you're doing a job. I got a life, you know, but we got to stop and take a break because, you know, that can all be taken away to, in a day, you know, tomorrow's never promised for anybody. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I kick myself for that a lot, you know, spend more time with you, uh, my kids and whatever else, you know, but there's always time for, you know, family and doing things like that. So we just got to realize it more and, and not just talk about it, just go do it, you know? And I think not just us, but for, you know, everybody, you know, if somebody else is listening here, maybe reach out to your brother, or your sister, go do something, do something with them, you know? Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, Melon down in Australia, you know, he got to go home after two years and not seeing his family. And he's like, there's little, there's four little babies and faces running around that I've never even met, you know, and he's like spending time with them and sending me pictures, you know, with, uh, with his family, with his mom and his brother, Hugh and everybody else. And then, you know, Raf's overseas right now. And, um, you know, he's doing his thing and, you know, he's got his son at home and I know all he wants to do is just live in the moment with his son and his wife. And, like that's, they are his life. And it just, again, them 44, 45 years old, you know, and then hearing it from you too, it's just this reassurance. It was like, man, you just need to live for the moment. You need to be around the people who you love and uh, have that great relationship and just turn everything else off. And, you know, I, I've actively really been trying to do that this past year uh, since I've learned a lot about myself and, really address the things that matter and the, the things that don't, you know, I could care less about social media um, and 
postings. Like, I don't care about likes. I don't care about like, Oh, I need everybody else's approval to, to show me that like, yes, I'm, I'm having a great time. Yes. I'm happy. Oh, but you have to like it. So I know that I'm happy. Like just all this other stuff that doesn't matter in life. And it's just like, as long as I'm with the people that I care about, we're enjoying our time spending, you know, whatever, like we're talking about, 4th of July of coming up and taking your boat out and going down to the river with the boys and fishing. Like that's all, that's the only place I want to be. Like, I just, I've been thinking about it over the weekend. I just want to be there and enjoy and not be anywhere else. I just want to be out there with my brother and my two nephews and just be fishing and enjoy life. Yeah. That, that's good I mean, would all love to have you, you know, that, um, you know, and plus the older we get, you know, the more, relaxed we are we don't hold grudges as much if we got a problem with something one of each other's doing we'll say it to each other um you know it's that's a good thing you know and uh you know i always look forward to spending time with you and uh mom you know i was just talking about that the other day to to jan i was just saying you know i I feel bad you know nobody else has left our grandmother died uh, our uncle died an aunt died a lot of people died (laughs) so she's kind of out there by herself um, I live 45 minutes away from her, you know, I should make it out there once, twice a week, at least, you know? Um, so I got to stop making excuses for that and just start doing it. So, you know, and that, yeah, that's the other thing, you know, you just got to stop living life for a minute and realize what's important, you know, and, and, and put that first, make that a priority. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, man, get done work so we can come up here take a boat out, do some fishing, have a few, uh, adult beverages and uh, <laughs> catch some fish. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. I, I look forward to it. Yeah. Well, overall, man, I, I think it's a great place to stop. I know we went over a little long, but I, I mean, I, I think some great points and some, your, your questions were good. I wasn't expecting a couple of them, but I'm fine with it. Um, to the listeners out there, um, I really hope you guys pick something out of this, you know, this episode, this two-part episode of me and my brother um we've been through a lot um not just his family you know like every family goes through stuff and has their trials and tribulations and stress and issues whatever um but uh you know add another layer onto there about being veterans uh being combat veterans and seeing the things that we've seen and then trying to move forward as as men as brothers um as uncles as fathers you know all this stuff um it's important to talk about these things and uh, some of you out there that maybe have a a family member uh, or even best friends, like some of my best friends, I call them my brothers as well. Um, They've bled with me and uh, I take that very seriously. Uh, They'd never quit on me and I ain't going to quit on them. Uh, What we have is very serious, Um, but I can talk to them as well. And I invite them in to have these kind of conversations that my brother and I have had and ask each other the tough questions. Um, Sometimes they hurt. Sometimes they suck. Uh, they make you uncomfortable. But I, I challenge you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and talk about these things because ultimately um, you can find the positive framework in it and you can find your way to another path to, to become something better than we were, uh, something that maybe we never thought we could be. And, uh, you know, at that hand in hand with uh, whatever God's plan is for us, I thoroughly believe. But um, anyways, take some time, maybe this weekend or 4th of July coming up, 
make a phone call, invite some people out. Maybe you haven't seen that you have that close relationship with or had maybe someone you serve with and invite them out, check on them and uh, make that reconnection and make it solid this time. Um, Cause I know, I know from this, me and my brother, we've, we've, I think we've definitely uh, re-solidified our relationship and it, it makes me feel good. Yeah, absolutely, man. We, we had our uh, rocky moments, ups and downs throughout life. Um, you know, we're, we're older now, we're men, and uh, we see what's important, you know. Um, we have to stick together, so we just got to build off that, you know. Stick together. Well, all right, everybody, thank you so much for joining in uh, these past two weeks and uh, inviting you into our lives and kind of hearing our perspective, maybe some things you didn't know. I know some of my family, some of my friends listening to this probably didn't know some of these things either. Um, and I know my brother could probably say the same, even our own mother is learning about us. So, uh, anyways, uh, you guys have a great week and, uh, we look forward to seeing you. Raf and Mellon should be back next week. Uh, Mellon is on his way back to, uh, um, Saudi right now after a great vacation and, uh, keep your prayers with Raf. He's overseas doing, uh, doing his job and getting into his rhythm and, uh, taking it to the enemy as usual. So uh, our thoughts and uh, prayers are with, with him that he gets back safe and sound soon. Um, and look forward to that. So take care and uh, yeah, see you next week.